We, uh, we've been working on a series called uh, Jesus Fascination, uh, just talking about various reasons why folks around the world find uh, Jesus fascinating. We've talked about uh, his miracles, we've talked about his teaching, of course at Easter we looked at his resurrection, uh, we've talked about his compassion um, uh, for just the for everyday common folk, and um, today we're going to look at uh, Jesus as the religious reformer. And... Uh, it doesn't take very long if you spend time in the Gospels to realize that the main religious people of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leading priests and the teachers of the law, most of them really, 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 really hated Jesus uh, because he challenged the entire religious system. He, he came to reform it and to turn it completely upside down. In fact, uh, Jesus ticked off these guys so much that he... Um, told his disciples in Matthew 16, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. There's a few times that Jesus plainly said, he said the religious system's going to kill me. <laughs> he knew that. Because he came to challenge the system and to completely turn it upside down. Now, I don't know if you've ever had anybody really mad at you. Probably all of us had, have had. You know, it's one thing to get maybe a nasty email or to have someone say something nasty on a, a Facebook post or something like that. Um, but maybe you've had someone like really just get up in your face and, and yell at you. Or uh, maybe you even got a, like a, a nasty letter. Uh, I mean, maybe some of you even got like a death threat. But Jesus got more than death threats. He got more than all that. He, uh, the religious leaders actually were plotting and planning and scheming. Like, how in the world can we kill this guy? That's how much Jesus ticked off the religious folks of his day. And we see this in, in a lot of places in the Gospels. For instance, in Luke 4, it says the people in the synagogue were furious, which was kind of like the church of the day for those folks. Is after Jesus did a little sermon, you know, his sermon so ticked off people uh, that they jumped up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of a hill in which the town was built. They intended him to push him off the cliff. Now I've preached some pretty bad sermons, but I don't ever remember any of you like planning to kill me for a sermon, though maybe it's been close. Uh, but they, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to take him out. I mean, he came to really push the religious system and to turn it upside down and to reform all that was going on. We see in Matthew 12 that the Pharisees, and they were kind of like the pastors of the day. They were the, the religious people that everybody looked up to, who said, if you want to know about God, talk to the Pharisees. If you want to, who, who should, who's the example of the day? It was the Pharisees. They lived their life in dedication to God, yet when Jesus shows up, these guys who were supposed to represent God and were supposed to be teaching about God, they actually wanted to kill Jesus. Uh, they were plotting how to kill him, or Matthew 26, the leading priests. These are like the head, head, head honchos. And the elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, who's kind of like the pope of the day, plotting on how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. He really, really, really made the religious system really mad. Um, and sometimes I wonder if Jesus showed up today what would happen? I think it would probably be similar in some, some, some ways. 
Uh, even the crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, Jesus said many times that it was not like the Father killing Jesus on the cross. It was the religious system that, that killed Jesus on the cross. In fact, here in the crucifixion story in Mark 15, it said, this is where Pilate said, would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? Pilate asked. For he realized by now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should we do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Not that phrase, crucify him. That was, that was instigated by these religious leaders. They had the power. They had the control. They were the head honchos. Nobody in that day would want to go against the religious leaders. I mean, uh, that would be big trouble for them. And so they stir up the crowd, and the crowd begins to, to chant, crucify him. That came from the religious system that Jesus challenged. I mean, Jesus really, <laughs> he just totally knocked the cheese off the cracker for these religious guys. I mean, they didn't know what to do with Jesus. I mean, and, I mean, and, uh, and partly because, I mean, Jesus had some hard words for these guys. It's interesting, Jesus never had hard words for like the tax collectors and the sinners. And the, he had hard words for the religious folks. Uh, in, in Matthew 23, which is big, long rant, the whole chapter of his rant against the religious system. But he says, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You cross land and sea to make one convert and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell uh, you yourselves are. I mean, again, these religious folks were to be teaching about God and modeling God and opening up the scriptures for people. And Jesus looks at them and says, actually, you're shutting the door to people seeing God. In fact, you're not making converts of people who are following God. You are actually, actually making converts who are more like children of hell than children of God, which is a pretty crazy thing to say that to like some religious teacher and to the whole group of these guys. The very people who are to be standing for God and representing God, Jesus comes in and says, in fact, you're not even representing God, not one bit. You actually are more closely resembling the enemy. We see Jesus similar in John 8. He says to these religious folks, you are of your father, the devil. I mean, just think about that. This, 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 this is crazy. <laughs> These religious folks who were, again, supposed to be the, you know, the pastors, the theologians of the day, and Jesus looks at them and says, actually, you're going completely in the opposite direction, and you look more like a child of Satan than you do of God. It's just such a radical thing for him to say because they were stealing and killing and robbing people of life. Uh, they had lost their ability to see humanness in others and see the image of God in others and to have compassion on others. Like John 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and that's how the religious system ended up. And if we're not careful, we can get there as well. Because there's always this push into this religious system. And we need to always be moving towards Jesus who came to ha give people life. And so he really, really challenges the religious system. I just want to look at some various ways in which he did that and then kind of sum things up. Uh, Jesus constantly broke their laws. You know anything about negative religion? Negative religion has a lot of rules and a lot of laws and a lot of lists. And if you don't follow all those rules and laws and lists, then you really get looked down upon. 
And Jesus comes along and he begins to challenge these rules and challenge the laws and goes in opposite direction. In fact, he actually goes in opposite direction to a lot of even their, the Old Covenant. The Old Testament had 613 laws. And it's kind of amazing how many times Jesus actually broke those laws. Like in Leviticus 13. And these were the laws that the religious system of the day was dedicated to. It says, those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. As long as the serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. And, and of course, these laws were originally to protect the health of the community. Um, and, and if you touched a person who was unclean, had leprosy or something, you, you were guilty. And because you were guilty, you needed to go make a sacrifice and to try to get right with God through, through your sacrifice. Jesus comes along and he does the exact opposite thing the law says. He, he actually, he touches the leper before he's even healed, which, which is a big no-no. Matthew 8, it says a man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Uh-oh, you just broke the Old Testament law. This is going to make, make the religious leaders mad. And it did. And then he says, I'm willing, he said, to be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of leprosy. These people that the religious people says, no, you need to be outside the camp. You need to be separated because you're unclean. You're nasty. And, you know, they're task your sinners, lepers, all those people. Jesus is like, he comes to those people and he touches them and even breaks Old Testament law because he came to reform the religious system. Uh, of course, Jesus hanging out with the unrighteous was something that the religious folks in those would, day wouldn't do. In fact, there were even things called the bleeding Pharisees who, who <laughs> they were called that because they'd run into things because they were so afraid to become unclean that they would look at things that they thought were unclean, like women or Gentiles or any other thing, and they would run into things and get bruises and bleed and so they had a nickname, the, the bloody Pharisees. But Jesus comes around and he's hanging out with these guys. Again, breaking a lot of the standards that were set up in the religious system. Well, it says Jesus is hanging out with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And, and as I said, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I mean, a rabbi of the day is never going to have these kinds of people as their followers. It's going to make them look bad. <laughs> you know, I'm a religious holy person who's modeling after God. I mean, but Jesus has these folks as his followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? This is where the religious system was in those days. And sadly, we still see this in the religious system today, where folks will look at another person of a different class, race, orientation, background, or whatever it might be, and like kind of subtly think they're scum. I mean, Jesus came to turn all that upside down. He's like, no, these are actually my followers. I actually love these people. And we should be hanging out with these people and enjoying their company as Jesus did. Uh, he did a lot in terms of reforming the religious uh, system when it came to women. I mean, speaking of Mother's Day, uh, John 4, we see this religiousness even in the disciples. In John 4, it says, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. I mean, what a shocking thing. <laughs> but in that day, it was shocking. Uh, you didn't talk to women outside of your home or you know, outside of your, your family members. And, and women were, were very underprivileged in those days. And 
But they knew enough about Jesus that it says, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? Because they knew Jesus was doing a different thing. In fact, Jesus' whole ministry, and I think we've talked about this before, was actually supported by women. Uh, Luke 8, he took his 12 disciples with him along with some women. They weren't just 12 men, but they were also women, uh, disciples and followers who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been cast come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. And then it says this, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Mostly, probably the manager of Herod's household, who would have been very rich. And Herod is actually trying to kill Jesus, and yet you know, his wife is actually supporting the ministry of Jesus, which is kind of awkward. Uh, but the women were, were very much behind the ministry of Jesus. I mean, at the crucifixion, when all the women fled, or all the men fled, the women who stayed. And this is all Jesus reforming the religious system. The main controversy you see in terms of Jesus reforming the religious system came to the Sabbath laws. I mean, uh, they got so caught up in their laws that, man, if you broke their laws, they would, they would freak out. And Jesus was just constantly breaking laws, including the Sabbath law. I mean, many of us maybe know the Sabbath law from Exodus 20. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. And, and they begin to define what work is. And they had lists and lists and lists of things that you are not allowed to do on the Sabbath. In fact, if you still go to Israel today, which I did a number of years ago, I mean, these have elevators that go up and down automatically in Israel because if you hit a button, that's sparking a fire, which is work. So, I mean, there's all these rules. Lots of that. You only can travel so far. And so Jesus comes along and he begins to see that these rules are just hurting people. And so he begins to reform the religious system. Uh, one story is John 5. That Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And there was this weird tradition that when the, the water began to bubble in this pool, if you jumped in first, you got healed. But because he's been so sick, he can never get in there first. And so uh, he can never, never be healed in this little funny bubble pool, hot tub of the day, I guess. So Jesus tells him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk and instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Got 38 years, this guy's sick. He's crippled, he's healed, and the religious people can't celebrate one bit because Jesus broke a law. That's where negative religion often gets. I mean, if you break one law, they freak out, but they don't see the person in their life and their history and their, you know, being made in the image of God. They don't have any compassion. 
negative religion, like we see with the Pharisees, they, they've lost all compassion. And it becomes all about the rules and maintaining power and control over, over other people. But they had real precedent for this. I mean, carrying a mat on the Sabbath was breaking the law. In fact, uh, they would have probably gone back to this crazy story <laughs> in Numbers 15. We have the Sabbath laws. You don't work. But here we have this little crazy story in Numbers 15. It says, One day while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they discovered a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day, probably collecting a few sticks so he could cook a meal, perhaps for his family. So he's just doing a little bit of work, collecting some sticks. The people who found him doing this took him before Moses, Aaron, and the rest of the community. This is like the religious thing to do. I saw someone breaking the rules. Let's take him to the church leader so they can discipline him. So they do. And then they held him in custody because they did not know what to do with him. And then the Lord said to Moses, this man must be put to death. The whole camp community must stone him outside the camp. So the whole community took the man outside the camp and stoned him to death, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. I mean, they killed this guy because he was collecting sticks on the Sabbath. And now Jesus comes along. And on the Sabbath, he tells someone to pick up his mat and walk, which is probably more than picking up sticks. And the they're freaking out. You can't go against the law. I mean, in the Old Testament, someone was killed for picking up firewood. How dare you tell them to pick up this mat? But Jesus does. Because he's coming in to reform the religious system. He's coming in to even take the Old Testament system and, and, and turn it upside down and, and to reform the entire thing. He is this religious reformer. And John 1, another story, it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with his, the saliva, and spread the mud all over the blind man's ears. I mean, it's a pretty strange thing to do. I mean, hey, come up for me for healing. I'm going to spit on the ground and smear it in your eye. I mean, we probably have a lot of people in the prayer lineup if we did that. But he says, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And so the man went and washed and came back seen. And we think the story is super strange. Like, Jesus spitting in mud and putting in the eyes. That's such a weird thing to do. But he specifically did this for specific reasons because he came to reform the religious system and to show the folks of the day just how silly they had gotten and to remind us how silly we can get at times. You see, there were laws in those days uh, that said healing someone with any remedy was forbidden on the Sabbath. Anointing someone with any kind of saliva or healing ointment is forbidden on the Sabbath. Kneading dough or clay is forbidden on the Sabbath. Uh, you're not allowed to mix your porridge on the Sabbath. And so Jesus here does this specifically on the Sabbath. He spits, which is using saliva, breaking the law. He mixes it with mud, which is breaking the law. He's making a healing anointment, which is breaking the law. And he heals this guy on the Sabbath, which is breaking the law. He's breaking a whole lot of laws on the Sabbath. Because he came to reform the religious system of the day. And of course, the Pharisees get very ticked because he's working on the Sabbath. Oh, I mean, big story is Jesus overturning the tables in the temple. I mean, this was like showing up at, uh, you know, like the denominational AGM. And Mark, Pastor Mark and I went last week to the Covenant AGM. But this, like... He, Jesus shows up at this big gathering, like the major religious event of the entire year, the Passover. And it says, when he, they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple. 
and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. I mean, just picture that. Imagine going into like a major event of like a whole bunch of religious leaders, and it's like a big expo, you know, a trade show, and you start like throwing their tables (laughs) over. I mean, you'd be in big trouble. But this is what Jesus does. I mean, he's reforming this religious system because it had become corrupt in terms of, you know, these animals were, they were charging exorbitant rates and they, and they filled up the area where the Gentiles could go with tables and selling doves and so people couldn't come and worship. And the whole point over and over that Jesus is making is that people were missing compassion when it came to people and were simply... Uh, jumping on on the rules. Uh, we'll jump ahead here a bit. Uh, Hosea 6. Jesus also reforms the entire sacrificial system. Even in the Old Testament, it says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. I mean, even in the Old Covenant, God was like, I don't really want sacrifices. I want you to show love to people. And in Jesus' day, the religious system all became about sacrifices and rules and, and, and laws, and they were missing the ability to love people. So Jesus was calling them back. And, uh, and in Hebrews 10, it says, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sin year after year. Christ said, you do not want animal or sin offering. I mean, that's kind of an interesting verse. Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them. <laughs> God wasn't even happy, happy about the, uh, the sacrificial system because that was not his heart. His heart, again, was love. And under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which they can never take away sins. But our high priest, as Jesus offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. It's like Jesus was saying, I'm the last sacrifice, no more sacrifices. <laughs> no more thinking that if I just sacrifice, maybe I'll be forgiven. No more thinking if I just sacrifice more, maybe God will love me or will be happy with me. Jesus says, I am the last sacrifice. I'm putting an end to the sacrificial system. You are forgiven. God loves you just as you are. The whole system of sacrifice and rules and regulations uh, Jesus did away with. And maybe I'll pop back here because this is what the whole book of Hebrews mentions over and over again. In Hebrews 8, it says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. Or Hebrews 10, he cancels the first covenant in order to put in the second. I mean, he canceled that old religious system. And he's constantly trying to cancel the religious systems of our own day. Robert Kaplan said, Christianity is not a religion, though we sure sneak that in sometimes. Christianity is the proclamation of the end of religion, not of a new religion or even the best of all religions. If the cross is the sign of anything, it's the sign that God has gone out of the religious business. That's what Jesus came to do. That all these religious systems, he, he said, like, he turned it upside down, challenged all the rules, and spit them out on the other side. And, and we got to be careful because, like the religious leaders of the day, 
Man, it can so easily creep into our own hearts. And I am convinced that one of the reasons why we tend to drift towards religion instead of drifting towards the way of Jesus, because religion tends to be really easy. Just give me 10 commandments, I'll do that. But you want me to love messy people? That's really hard. (laughs) Just give me some rules to follow and a system to kind of fill myself into. But you actually want me to love that person who's really different than me or that person of different race or economic status or orientation or whatever it might be. You want me to love, that's that's, that's hard. Just give me rules. Where the way of Jesus was, no, it's about compassion. It's about connecting. It's about seeing people as human. This was probably the most clearest picture of the religious system and the heart of Jesus. Matthew 23. You teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. (laughs) You know, yeah, tithing is easy compared to, you know, loving those kinds of people or getting out there and having compassion on people. Just give me some rules. That's easy to follow, but loving in this messy world, that's really hard. But that is the way of Jesus. I mean, Jesus... You take the Ten Commandments, that, that system Jesus put an end to, and he, he brings in just one... Com- the, new com- the New Covenant actually just has one command. Love one another as I have loved you. That's why Jesus says, I am giving you a new command. As he, he puts an end to the Old Covenant, he gives a new command, which is to love one another. We even see this in the Old Testament. I'm almost done here. Isaiah 1. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. And, and we see this theme throughout the prophets that that people so quickly go towards religion and rules and power and control and are moving away from the very heart of seeing other people as made in the image of God and having compassion on them. And we might say, well, those people back then, good thing we're not like that today. Sorry, but actually studies say the church is very much like that today. In fact, they've done some studies. This was a major study they did on uh, that most Christians actually lack Jesus' love for other people. In fact, this, I don't know if you can see this, but this goes like Christ-like actions and pharisaical actions and pharisaical attitudes and and Christ-like attitudes. They found only 14% of Christians actually have Jesus-like actions and attitudes. So that's a whole lot of people who tend towards pharisaicalism. And so this message is very much about the church today, very much about us today. That as Jesus was reforming religion, we need to be constantly reforming that in our own hearts and checking our spirit. And am I following the way of Jesus as he had compassion on the crowds as as we talked about last time? God's love is not a spigot that turns off or on based on your performance. This is part of what Jesus came to end, what the, the whole gospel is about. That you are saved by grace, and it's not by works. It is nothing that you do. As Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Religion will always say, 
Look at me, I'm the hero. <laughs> I'm following the rules. That's why God loves me. That's why God blesses me. That's why God does so many good things in my life because I'm a good person. I'm following the rules. No, you can't boast. Jesus got rid of that religious system. God loves you. <laughs> it's a free gift. Or Romans 5, we have been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God because, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And this allows us to just rest and to enjoy God without thinking that he's going to beat us up or shame us or that we have to do a bunch of religious things in order for him to be happy with us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It is hard to believe the gospel because it's, it's just, because we want to do something. We want to add a bunch of religious things to it or something. But Jesus reformed the religious system and may we, in line with that, continue to reform ourselves. So Father, we thank you You've just given this example in Jesus of turning our hearts back to what really matters. And that is loving people as you have loved us. And I, I pray you just continually highlight those things in our life that get in the way of loving people, especially loving those who are different than us. God, that you would help us to see them as being created in the image of God and being loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen.